My name's Jose, and I'm here to tell you there are 11 days till Thanksgiving. Massive amounts of bird will be consumed, right? But more than that, a Thanksgiving growing up for us was a holiday, and now Thanksgiving is an excuse for Black Friday. Would, would you just agree? Like it's gone from, you used to be able to shop eventually, but now because of online, I'm already getting pummeled every day. I don't know about you, maybe I'm on too many email lists. Every day with Black Friday is coming and previews about a day to shop. So for us in America, I don't want to overstate it, but a lot of our holidays are nothing more than a reason for your favorite thing to go on sale, right? It's just the way it is. And it's funny, but not so funny. It's actually helpful that in our study in the Psalms, we didn't plan it this way, but a Psalm of Thanksgiving, which is 107, would show up 11 days before a holiday called Thanksgiving. And what we want to just think about tonight, and I hope this is helpful to you, is how do we put ourselves in a position where not just during a national holiday or once a year or in a season between the turkey and then the ham, if you eat that, you know, at, at Christmas, whatever, but really all year round that we can live in a way that's reflective like 107, that we see what God has done, that we see what we have done, and we see what God has done after we have done what we have done, and we give thanks because we realize we've made mistakes and we've gotten in trouble and God has shown us through uh, what we see here is actually the same thing repeated four times. So tonight, I wanted us to hear it all. And when someone else speaks, it kind of sounds different and we pick up something different. So I wanted Kenny to read it. But now we're not going to go through all of it. We're going to look at one of four scenes. And then I'm just going to point you to where they are. Because in Psalm 107, which is a psalm of thanksgiving, it gives us four descriptors of what happens in our, all of our stories. So let's just begin at the beginning. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Okay. So he's really telling us the whole thing right there. Our call and, and the command, the push, is you and I should give thanks. Why? Because God has done some stuff and his love has shown itself to be true. Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Tell their story. Uh, thanksgiving, being thankful, gratitude, any terminology you want to use, is tied to your story. And what you get here are four scenes of four things that have happened. And in the end, the psalmist just says, man, I have to thank God. Uh, verse three, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, the north and the south. Before we get into the first scene, I just want to show you something. Psalm 105 was about Israel being captured out of Egypt. If you are a Jew, there is nothing bigger in your mind, nothing, than what God did when he took hundreds of thousands of people who were literal slaves and God in a moment in one night rescued them. No king did it. Moses came with a staff and God pulled these people from death to life. So Psalm 105 is remembering that. And then Psalm 106 is remembering what happens when they make it through the Red Sea and all the up and down. 40 years they were in the desert. 40 years trying to get where God wanted them to go. And they would sin and be judged and they would repent and God would forgive and they'd move on. And it was cycle after cycle for 40 years. So at the end of Psalm 106, this is what the psalmist says. Just look back a couple of verses. Psalm 106, 47. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations. Now, a little bit of history that will help. 
God gave them the land. They were in the land and they were faithless. They were not faithful to God. And God promised, if you don't turn back, I'm going to send you away. Psalm 106 is written when they're scattered all over the place. The Babylonians came in and took over and sent them out to the ends of the empire. And so now Psalm 106 is about God. You were faithful when you got us out of Egypt. You were faithful to get us to the land. Now we've been faithless. Save us again. Bring us back from all these other nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So, so Psalm 106 is like, God, do it again. Then, verse 10, uh, Psalm 107, verse 3. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, the north and the south. Psalm 107 starts with God did it again. Now, I don't know your background, and I don't know your God history. I don't know if you're new to thinking about faith, or since you were like a little kid, you've been hearing about the Bible and about God and life. But, but sometimes we cry out, God, will you do something? And then he does it. He steps in. That's how Psalm 106 and 107 meet. Psalm 106, God do it again. Psalm 107, he did it again. And now the four scenes. Let's look at the first scene, uh, verse 4. Some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. So we get in trouble. Four scenes say the same three things again and again and again. The people change, the circumstances change, but the issue is the same. This is the cycle of life. I'm going to talk about you tonight, okay? I know nothing about most of you, but I know you because I know me. The story of life is about us getting in trouble. That's just how much of our life is spent wondering, Lord, what are you going to do, man, because I'm stuck, you know? Am I the only one who finds himself saying, God, I need you like yesterday? Uh, the story of life is a story of us saying, man, I don't know what's going to happen. Now here, verse 4, some wandered in, de so in the desert. They couldn't find their way to the city. They're hungry, thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So the second thing I just want you to see, well, actually, before we get to that, let's just think about us getting in trouble. When I was sixth grade, I was thinking back, when's the first time I can remember really getting in trouble? And it was sixth grade because we lived uh, in Staten Island, New York, and we lived across from an elementary school, and everyone played. It was like the community center. Huge. The biggest of all the elementary schools. I've never seen like a park area and a play area so big. Had all these basketball courts and a full baseball field and all that. And we would all play at the basketball courts. So it's the summer, and I'm in the sixth grade, and a bunch of people are playing b-ball. And in comes a guy. Must have been a high schooler or beyond. In it with a motorcycle. Just wow. Goes right into the into the schoolyard in it and parks right by the end of the basketball court, you know, takes off his leather jacket, even though it's blazing hot, and helmet, and, you know, comes out, and he comes to play. And everyone's like, ooh, you know. So I was too young. I was like sixth grade. Everyone else is high school and up. And so I'm watching them play, and they're going back and forth. And I think that this bike looks amazing, you know. And I had never ridden on a motorcycle up to that point. And so I'm like, I'm going to check out this bike. So I go towards the motorcycle. He sees me getting a little close. They're running up and down the court. He's like, hey, man, don't touch the bike. I'm like, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to sit on it. Like, you know, it's not the same thing. And so sixth grade, with all my courage, they're on the other end of the court. No one's looking. I come over, 
And it's, you know, leaning on the side on a kickstand. And I'm able to get my foot over on the bike. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And then I pull it up, you know, uh, up off the kickstand. And then I realize, like, my feet aren't, like, touching the ground, but barely. Like, I'm, I'm barely tippy-toeing it. I'm like, oh, wow. And in a moment. But you never, like, live in slow-mo? Where, like, your life is just going, like, it's happening. It happened like that. But immediately I realized, A, I'm not, I'm not touching the ground, so I'm not going to be able to ride this thing. Secondly, the kickstand was holding all this weight. This was no light bike. And third is gravity is my enemy. Like, gravity is totally my enemy. And so in a moment, I'm trying to catch myself, and I start pushing forward on the bike, and then I spill out. I fall off of it, and it's cement on the side of this court. And, and everyone on the other side of the court turns around, and there I am with a nice scratched-up motorcycle. And so because I was godly at six, I did what you would do. I ran. I ran. I, I ran right across the street. I left there. I'm like, goodbye. I ran to my house. I went up to this uh, little two-story house. I went in my bedroom, shut the door, got under the covers, and said out loud, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Like I was just trying to wish that this did not happen, but it did. Now, everyone knew I lived across the street. So everyone came running over to the front door. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't happen. It didn't happen. And ding dong. Like, oh, no. I am crying like a fifth grader. Like, you know, I'm totally crying, even though I'm a sixth grader, which is not the same thing. And, and I am crying. And then I hear my dad, because my dad was already home. Jose, go, oh, man. And I come downstairs, and there's an argument going on. And this guy is bleepity, bleepity, bleeping my dad because of what I did. And it's like, it's the bottom staircase. And I, I'm sure, now I'm a parent, I get it. My dad knew I was guilty by the sobbing as I'm walking down the steps. <laughs> and so I'm just watching him, and he, calm, he calms this guy down. And, and then he says, don't worry, I'm, I, I get it. I don't know, I wasn't there, so I, I can't say. But obviously, I'm going to take care of your bike and calms down, they exchange everything, or it's going to be covered, and they leave, and he shuts the door, and he turns around and looks at me, and I'm waiting for a beatdown. Like, I'm just waiting for it. I'm, like, I'm waiting for it, like, oh, no. And uh, it's, it's okay. And then we went on. And I'm waiting for the hammer to come down, because I was totally guilty, but it didn't come down ever. I was waiting for like, Jose, even though you get like 25 cents a week for allowance, in 347 years, you'll be able to pay me back. You know, nothing. He does not bring it up against me. And I received grace. You ever like receive grace? It's like a lofty word. It just means getting what you do not deserve. Like I totally did not deserve the treatment I got. I deserved to pay for what I had done. I deserved for that guy to yell at me after telling me not to get on and I didn't listen. I deserved for my dad to be totally upset that I would do this and I deserved all that. I didn't get it though. My dad loved me and to this day has never brought it up. I got grace. So when, when you think about what Psalm 107 is, it's exactly that. Look at verse 6 again. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord, verse 8, for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds 
from mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So my story, your story is one, we get ourselves in trouble. Now, we're not going to take the time, but just in case those of you who really want to study out the passage, why don't we throw out the slide with uh, the other references. If you look back in verse, uh, down to verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness in the utter darkness, and so that's their trouble. Verse 17, some became fools to their rebellious ways. Sometimes we're foolish. That's what happens in verse 17. Verse 23, some went out on the sea in ships, and they end up in a storm. So the scenario changes. I'm just going to go through scene one, which we just read. But four times something happens. People find themselves in trouble. And that is our story. That is the human experience. But no matter what we have done, Psalm 107 reminds us, let us give thanks to the Lord. Because at the right time, for this, for this person or these people, God stepped in. Now, I could bore you with story after story, but every one of us that has chosen to follow Jesus has at least one, maybe, maybe two or three. Some who have been following Jesus for a long time can whip out a, a journal, you know, like a big book of things that God has done. And so tonight we want to think about how can we cultivate in a world that's saturated with you don't have enough, you need more, you need to buy this, and, and this will make you happy. And we live in a culture that is full of discontentment. We in America, let's just state the facts. I travel around the world a bit, so I know this, not just in paper, but by experience. We have more material resources than anyone on the planet. Than probably most people in most cultures in all of human history, the average ordinary citizen, for most of history, it was the rich who had it all and the poor who looked to have riches someday but never got it. But in America, most of us have more and access to more than anywhere in the world at any point in history. But are we thankful? Like, like by default. When something good happens, when you go to the coffee shop and they just get it right, and it's warm and it's hot, and whether it's coffee, which is like black and real and good, or whether it has 10 names to it, like triple this, double that, whipped, hot, medium, mocha, you know, with a splash of tarragon, or whatever it is that you like get, Whatever it is that you order, when it just gets right, like, do we by just default just say thanks? When things don't go exactly our way and the drink doesn't come out right or it doesn't go the way we intended, do we go with, well, it didn't happen this time, but God, thank you? Or do we catch ourselves just like, man, why me? The psalmist comes to a conclusion, verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. So, so the, the, the three things that happen four times. One, we get in trouble. Secondly, um, God steps in. Because that's what happens here. God seems to rescue this person from his trouble. And then he gives thanks to the Lord. And that's really most of our stories. For me, in my motorcycle experience, it wasn't God. But it was my dad. And, and the psalmist is relating it kind of like God is close. So God steps in when this person is struggling and doesn't know how to find his way to the city. And God directs his steps. When it comes to the person at the ship, God calms the storm. God steps in. And so how do I cultivate like a heart that is really thankful? I remember that I, usually trouble comes from me. Now, sometimes it comes from other people, and they put you in a spot which, 
which puts you in trouble. Uh, not all sin is equal. Some sin we commit because we're rebellious. Sometimes the sin comes against us and other people who choose to disobey God do stuff towards us and it's painful. But trouble is trouble. But yet the psalmist gives thanks because God didn't leave him in trouble. God stepped in. Now, the third thing that happens in this scene is verse 8. This person responds with thanks. So the third thing we need to remember is we're called to respond with thanksgiving to God. So that cycle is very simple, but it's, it's profound. We get in trouble. God steps in. The call for us, you and me, is to respond with thanksgiving. Now, because I said um, I want to show you just with the other scenes in case you want to st- study it out. If we can go back to that other slide um, that says Psalm 107, verse 14. So, so we get in trouble. God steps in. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. Verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. So, so I gave you the first one, but these are the three others. We get in trouble, then God steps in. And then out of response, what does the psalmist do? He gives thanks. Now, I want us to see this ourselves. So he gives thanks in verse 8. But let's just uh, continue to look down. Verse 15, the second scenario. Uh, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Did we see that before? It's exactly verse 8. Now, remember we said it before in Poetry, Hebrew poetry, like Psalms, they don't rhyme. The, the author, the, the psalmist, makes their point by repeating words. So for us, we put something in a big, bold font. Or we change and put a text box around it. Or if you have on a computer, you, you highlight the color. That's what we do to make a point. The psalmist uses words, so they repeat it. So verse 8 says, let them give thanks to the Lord. Verse 15 says, let them give thanks to the Lord. And look at verse 21. Again, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So every time a person gets in trouble, God steps in, and then the response, let them give thanks. But now he adds something. Verse 22, let them sacrifice thank offerings um, and tell of his works with songs of joy. In the end, I'm going to give a simple definition of what thanksgiving is, but I just want to let the text speak for itself for a bit. So let him give thanks, let him give thanks, and the third time, then let him give thanks and bring a thank offering and tell God's praise with songs of joy. What does that mean? It means that thanksgiving isn't just a verbal thing. It's not just a fist pump. It's not just a God high five, you know. It, it requires us acting. So he says, give thanks to the Lord. How? Bring something. In response to what God has done, I return to God a song. Uh, it's worship. It's verbal. And material. So in this case is when you go to worship, you would bring something, something that God has given you, and you would offer it back. For them, it was like a burnt sacrifice. It was something that was food. It was a livestock or grain, something that was tangible. They were farmers. They were, they, uh, were sheep herders. They would bring what they had and say, God, I just want to return this back. And they wouldn't just burn it up. It would actually be used 
to help in the worship of God. So the offerings that people brought back to God was used to take care of the priests, the Levites, and those who led in worship. Point being, because God has been good to me, I ought to respond, not just in my brain saying, God, thank you, that was kind of nice of you, but it ought to impact what I have. In light of what God has done for you, what could you offer? Now, we're not going to take another offering in the collection, but I want us to think about what, what is it that you have now that in response to God's goodness, you can say, God, I give this back because I'm full of joy. I give this to someone else. I could hold this for myself. I think many of us, we're holding on to things that we don't even use, <laughs> like, right? I looked at my closet because we're moving this week, and I realized, oh my gosh, I probably have more stuff in my closet right now that I don't wear than what I wear. I may be alone. I'm not a hoarder by nature. But, but I realized, wow, this week I have the opportunity. Like We move on Wednesday just to a house a mile down the road. But I'm, I'm thrilled about just w- sifting through and saying, these I do not need. I'm going to give them to an organization that could give it away to people in need. I, that's part of a heart of thankfulness. It's actually practical. It's saying, God, thank you. And now I want to return it. Then uh, he goes on, the last one, verse 31, he says the same thing. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all mankind. Verse 32, let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him, God, in the council of the elders. So we're talking about Thanksgiving. Again, we'll define it in a minute. But, But it's good to think that part of what you're doing tonight in your very coming here is a response of thanks. Now, maybe your heart and mind aren't connected yet, but the coming together, Thanksgiving isn't just something that I experience with Mike. When I say Thanksgiving, many of us think like dinner in a house with relatives, some that we like, some that, you know, we could do without. Or, or, or travel, oh, Thanksgiving. What are you doing Thanksgiving weekend? We see it as this, this event. No, Thanksgiving is me returning to God, what's due Him, praise, sing songs, uh, it's tangible, that offering's brought back. And now he says, let Him do it in the assembly of the elders, the council of the elders. Thanksgiving and a heart of gratitude is something that we experience together. And I'll get to why in a second. But there's something about what God has done that deserves all of us, not just on a Sunday night, but whether you get together with a couple of friends midweek or you work with some colleagues who have faith in Jesus, there's something about remembering what God has done and bringing that up together in the council of the elders, in the assembly of the brothers and sisters. What we're doing each week, uh, the, the, the five-minute conversations before we start singing, the little four minutes in between the singing and the teaching, what happens at the end if you grab some coffee and something to eat, and as you, you share life and, and something comes up that God has done, that is a part of living out Psalm 107. This is supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be something that happens often. It's not supposed to be a seasonal thing or a tied to turkey and stuffing thing, but rather a heart and a posture and a way of life. Now I'll tell you, when we live this way in Psalm 107, it's freeing for us. Thanksgiving, giving back to God what's due Him. Gratitude. It's not just about God. 
It's something that sets us free. So before we do this, so what we're going to do is in a few minutes, I'm letting you know, when we respond by singing, we're going to actually live this out. We're going to sing songs of joy to God, give thanks to Him. And then we're going to go, like we do each week, we're going to go to the bread and cup later on. And what we're going to do is grab the bread and take the cup. And rather than just eating it with like all together, we're going to get together in groups of three or four or five maybe. And we're going to, we're going to give thanks. So I want you to be thinking now, because most of us are already thinking about two things at once. I'm talking and your mind is drifting. Come back, come back, come back. Anyway, it, we mostly we multitask, don't we? Like we drift. But what we're going to do is we're going to think of one thing, just one that God has done, like in the real world. Not like, he created the valley. Okay, okay, get over it. Like, what did he do for you? Like, did you eat? Maybe it's that. Has God provided in some way that you think that is only God? We're going we're gonna to recite to one another before we eat the bread and the cup, which, by the way, the bread and the cup, the word for it over time is the Eucharist, which is the word give thanks. It's it's the Eucharist, the body and the blood, the, the bread and the cup, is by its own self called an act of thanks. It's God's good gift, and we give thanks for it. So we're going to do that in a minute. So, but before we do, I want us to talk about, just for a second, what Thanksgiving is and what it is not. Let's look at what Thanksgiving is. It's not turkey, it's not pumpkin pie, it's not that. But I have to like define it, even though it's obvious, because our season has so like got a mental picture for us. What Thanksgiving is, the reason is there's no Hebrew word for thanks. So here it says, give thanks to the Lord, uh, for he is good, his love endures forever. It's a human, uh, it's an English word, thanks. There is no Hebrew word for thanks. But rather there is a word that comes up often and is translated praise or thanks. So let me just throw up a little uh, definition on the screen if we would. It says the word usually translated thanks means something more like praise or confess or give credit to. So what we see as translated thanks is a word that has a broader meaning. So while a generic hymn of praise, like just a, 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 a praise hymn, which we're going to look at praise next week, um, emphasizes God's describing God's awesome characteristics, the person singing a hymn of thanksgiving, which is Psalm 107, has a story to tell or a report to make on how God acted in his or her life. So praise could be generic. I go out and it's cool in the morning and there's frost and the sun's shining and the leaves have fallen and I just look and say, wow, God, you're just amazing. It's, I praise him for what he's done. I just see creation. But Thanksgiving is a little, it's a nuance. Praise and thanks are close. But the nuance is it's usually me saying, God did this specific thing. And so therefore, I'm going to sing, or I'm going to give, or I'm going to talk about what God has done. So the psalmist calls us to give thanks to God. And here's my one little point. What Thanksgiving is for us who follow Jesus is an act of worship to God, the God who did it. And that's, here's why I say this. Because I think in our culture so often, we're thankful, but it's in the most generic fortune cookie kind of way. You know, like open a fortune cookie, this week you will be blessed. Like, ooh, 
For one, most fortune cookies are just stale. Can we just say it like it is? Like you just, you, you read the fortune, you eat half the cookie, and you're like, I shouldn't have done that, right? It's like eating paper. Right, that's one thing. But like we, we do it in this like fortune cookie kind of way, like I'm just grateful. Why? Because I just feel like I've been fortunate. I've been, I've been lucky, you know? And, and that's how most of our culture, when I get a little bit of good, like, man, uh, last week was bad, but this week is good. Wow, it's just, you know, the weather's nice, and I won the lottery, and whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's not necessarily thanks to God, right? We thank our friend for helping us out. We thank our employer. We thank, we thank whomever. But what the psalmist is doing, even though God used Moses to deliver them out of Egypt and into the land of promise, the people of God did not give thanks to Moses. They gave thanks to who? God. And so any good gift that you and I received this week, yes. If someone helps you out, I didn't have boxes. We're moving. And my neighbor, a couple of houses down, they moved a couple of weeks before us. I'm like, well, we'll give you our boxes. Like, great. So we got free boxes. But last Saturday, we, we used up all the boxes. Like, man, maybe we have too much stuff because they gave us all their boxes, but we didn't have enough. Like, we're going to need to get some. And I hated the thought, call me cheap, of buying boxes. Like spending money to put something in something that's going one mile away. I was just, I was like, oh, okay. So that's Saturday. I come here last Sunday, and I'm mentioning to someone off the cuff, I'm moving, da 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 And Matt, your wonderful husband, he looks over at me, and he smiles. And he gives me the business card of a guy who had just come up to him and said, I moved here a couple of months ago. And it's like on my, my wife's honey-do list to get rid of these boxes. Do you know anyone in this church that could use some moving boxes? He had had that conversation minutes before I pull up. And I'm talking to someone else. And he's like, it gives me the card. And he's like, just call him up. I immediately text him, dude, give me those boxes. Like, you know. I'm, so and it, here's the funny thing. Even more funny than that is that guy, John, and his family, they had come to our missional community one week prior. They came to our home or in our house where we were talking about moving. One, why didn't he just give me the boxes then? No, anyway, no, it's not. No, that was not the point. Ah, give thanks to the Lord. Anyway, the point was not um, uh, the boxes. I thank Matt for letting me know. And I, I really thank John as he brought him over. I was like, dude, you have no idea. I just, I'm just so grateful that the day after we realized we need more boxes, you finally listened to your wife who was saying, get rid of those boxes. And, and we collided. So we need them Saturday. I tell someone Sunday, Monday afternoon, I've got them. So I do thank Matt. I do thank John. But I thank God. My point is Thanksgiving for us isn't just saying thank you when you do it right or thank your parents when they help you out or thank your employer when they give you a raise. We turn that thanks back to God. Because those good gifts aren't just from people. God uses people to give us those things. Does that make sense? So this season, let's just not be thankful in the glib, kind of, you know, common American way. Let's press in and give thanks to the God who did it for us. And secondly, what Thanksgiving is not, okay? What Thanksgiving is not. Thanksgiving isn't a denial of the ups and downs of life. And this is really important because the season of Thanksgiving, November through to Christmas, is, is a time where two things happen. One, Americans get in more debt than any other time of the year in November, December. It's a fact. Because that's one. So we give a lot of gifts. We do a lot. So that we're generous in that sense. At the same time, it's some of the highest peak season of depression for many. 
Because not everyone can see all that God has done. And so I want to be sensitive, and I want to remind you, Thanksgiving doesn't just happen when things go our way. What God wants to do is cultivate in us is the ability to see where he's at work even when things don't go our way. I want to suggest this to you. Even though things may be really hard and life may be really down and things may be really rough for you right now, you can still live with an attitude of thanksgiving. And gratitude can still be a part of who you are and you can push back even the rough things that you don't understand and don't make sense. Even in the middle of that, you can couple that reality with also surrounding it with the things that God has done. Because even though things may be bad now, things have not always been bad. And even though this may not be right, there are other areas where God has been at work. Now, why do I know this? Verse 37, we're almost done. It says, They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased. And he did not let their herds diminish. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You tell me. What happened there? They sowed fields, planted vineyards, and yielded a fruitful harvest. Is that good or bad? Okay, good. He blessed them. Their numbers increased. Is that good or bad? Good. He did not let their herds diminish. They didn't die. Is that good or bad? Okay. So, that, so you give thanks. Now look at verse 39. Then their numbers decreased. Hello. And they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. Is that good or bad? That's, that's bad. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander, wander, I love this, in a trackless waste. Okay. So things were good, but then things went bad. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction. Verse 42, the upright see and rejoice. You see, the upright, the, those who get this, they see and rejoice. Sometimes God takes us from seed. Oh, hopefully this will work. I go to school and I learn. Maybe I'll get a job. And you get the job. And that's good. And you give thanks. But there are seasons in life where you feel like you've got a lot and then it's gone. Right? You had. You were abundant. It was all there. And then it's gone. But then notice what the psalmist does. Right after he, he admits that things are bad and things went low, he says in verse 40, He who, contempt, who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a track, trackless waste, but he lifted the needy out of their affliction. He gains perspective, right? There are seasons of highs and lows, and life is full of ups and downs. But for us here tonight, no matter where we are in that, we can still, in the big picture, God has done enough that we can go to him with thanks and praise. All right, like I said, we're going to define it, and then we're going to do it. Simple definition up on the screen. And I found this to be super helpful this week in terms of thing of the heart of Thanksgiving. It says gratitude, or human Thanksgiving, is a never fully adequate response to the prior giving of God. Super simple. It is a, I love the phrase, a never fully adequate response. You see, because God has done so much, what can I do? Some say, sing. Others say, give the sacrifice of thanksgiving or, or, or tell someone about it. But it's a never fully adequate response because thanksgiving is just the beginning. Is it the only thing we do? No, but it's the starting place. And when you have and cultivate in yourself and you find yourself moaning, complaining, bent towards depression or, or seeing only the dark side of it all, Let's remind ourselves that God has 
done some prior giving. And that's what, my, that's what I mean. Even though things are hard right now, thanksgiving is what I do today in light of the prior giving of God. I needed boxes. God provided boxes. And so I thank God for a simple thing like boxes. I thank John, yes, but I thank God. So my question is tonight, if we're going to cultivate this, it's something that we're going to need to practice. What is that one thing that you know that you know that you know that God has done? Well, let me just remind you, God wants to hear about it because God hasn't forgot you and he hasn't left you and he's still there with you. And even though sometimes it seems like he's a million miles away, in practicality, he may be right around the corner, so to speak. And when you turn back, you don't see him, but it may be that he's right around the corner and he's bringing help and he's bringing deliverance and he's bringing care. But right now, while you're waiting for him, give thanks. Give thanks to the prior goodness of God. And if we will cultivate that today and tomorrow and every day, not only is God worth it, but my friend, it will do something for you. I learned grace in the sixth grade when I deserved to pay for it. But my dad stepped in and he showed me kindness. I'll, I'll never forget it. How much more has God done for me? How much more has God done for you? Tonight, let's give him thanks.